Oh. <laughs> I always do that. Amy always... I always make coffee for Amy in the morning. Or if I'm making breakfast, I'll make the coffee. So I make her cup, set it next to her breakfast. She eats her whole breakfast, sits there for a while, then leaves. And her coffee <laughs> cup is still completely full. And then right before we have to go somewhere, she'll like down. She'll have to heat the whole thing up. Heat it up again. She'll heat the whole thing up again, down it before we go somewhere. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. But she wants it every morning. All right, now, now Mere Christianity, chapter, chapter four. Chapter four, titled, What Lies Behind the Law. So, yeah, Lewis starts out summing up what he's reached so far, which is perfect, because we haven't done this in a while, mm -hmm. so we should sum it up. Um, I'll just read it. He says, Let us sum up what we have reached so far in the case of stones and trees and things of that sort. What we call the laws of nature may not be anything except a way of speaking. When you say that nature is governed by certain laws, this may only mean that nature does, in fact, behave in a certain way. The so-called laws may not be anything real, anything above and beyond the actual facts which we observe, but in the case of man, we saw that this will not do. The law of human nature, or of right and wrong, must be something above and beyond the actual facts of human behavior. In this case, besides the actual facts, you have something else, a real law which we did not invent, and which we know we ought to obey. Mm. So yeah, that's what he's been talking about so far. This this feeling that we ought to behave in a certain way. Um, and now he wants to talk about what what can we what conclusions can we draw from yeah. this fact that we know we ought to behave right. in a certain way. What does that actually mean about the world mm -hmm. that we live in then? And I'm, I'm curious about your view of this chapter, especially because he talks a lot about science and the job and science yes. of science. And you are basically a scientist to me, at least, like that. To, <laughs> to my unscientific education. Yeah. Um, you've been in labs and done some research studies. So, But we'll get to that part. Um, he breaks down, first off, the two views. Um, the, the, what does he say? The material view and the materialistic view and the religious view. Mm -hmm. So the materialistic view, um, basically, that everything just happened to happen. <laughs> it was yeah. just random chance yeah. that the Big Bang occurred and that the conditions of everything were perfect for life to exist on Earth yeah. and that we all evolved this certain way and that yeah. we have minds that can think about this stuff yeah. is all just random or maybe even more like it all the only thing that is in existence is matter and material and so uh, yeah. everything that happens is just because mm -hmm. that's what matter does and it's just happens like people kind of like a clock you know it clicks a certain way because of the gears and everything that it has and so if you just if like you could make a model of the whole universe, all the atoms and mm -hmm. everything, and it just it would work. just happens, mm -hmm. just because that's what and the matter. There's does. nothing, nothing behind it or yeah. above it. It's right. just 
that's the end is the matter um or the religious view which says that there's something like a mind he says um and he says like a mind because the mind is the closest thing that we can think of that would have purposes and, and, a, and a will yeah um, intent intent hey <laughs> hey um and he says that's the religious view is that there's something with a willful purpose behind yeah. the universe that yeah. created it or put it into motion or something like that mm-hmm. um and then he's got a little star with that that says see the note at the end of the chapter which i say we go ahead and talk about that yeah um at the end of the chapter, he breaks down the one other view, um, if I can manage to get to the right page. He says, in order to keep this section short enough when it was given on the air, because remember this part of the book was all radio broadcasts, mm-hmm. I mentioned only the materialist view and the religious view, but to be complete, I ought to mention the in-between view called life force philosophy, or creative evolution or emergent evolution. So that view is basically that, and he breaks it down and kind of makes fun of it a little bit. (laughs) Um, People who hold this view say that the small variations by which life on this planet evolved from the lowest forms to man were not due to chance, but to the striving or purposiveness, purposiveness of a life force. When people say this, we must ask them whether by life force, they mean something with a mind or not. If they do, then a mind bringing life into existence and leading it to perfection is really a god, and their view is thus identical with the religious. If they do not, then what is the sense in saying that something without a mind strives or has purposes? Yeah. So this is the the uh, universe view uh, that basically say the the word use the word universe in exchange with the word God. Um, the universe wanted me to have it, you know, and, and Lewis points out that a lot of times people with this view, it's like a religious, like religion light, I guess. Like they can, when they feel lost and like their life has no meaning, then they can look to this universe or life force or whatever as this thing that makes everything meaningful, you know, and when they want to do something kind of shady or against normal moral principles, then they, the fact that they can just decide, oh, well, this life force doesn't really have any morals. Yeah. It's easy, you know? So it's, it, to me, it's essentially the same thing as building a pagan idol and worshiping Mm. it. You're making a God. Yeah. Um, that fits your own will. Yeah. And it also seems like it seems right on the razor's edge of it could also be almost like another natural law, this life force that's mm-hmm. kind of like a striving of the universe towards like it's a good way of explaining all these one in a one in a million chances of mm-hmm. evolution and stuff. It's to say that there's a life force behind it driving that. Yeah. Striving towards making life happen, I guess. It's like they want something that explains this one in a trillion chance that life exists. Yeah. But they don't want something that has a will for their life and says that there's a right and wrong way to live because they yeah. want to live the way that they want to live, you know? But it's still very close to the materialistic view because what mm-hmm. if that life force is just one another natural law, just like gravity and entropy and stuff that 
it just happens exactly mm-hmm. way you know yeah it's still it seems awfully close to materialistic and awfully close to the religious mm-hmm. view like if like really if they were to clear it up a little bit more it seems like it would fall either under religious view or the yeah. materialistic view but then they would lose part of the reason they enjoy that view yeah which is why i think it's often it's like pretty like nebulous mm-hmm. and like kind of broad terminology used yeah in. it's very much just like you know up in the air whatever or like uh, yeah you know but it is I mean, you can see the attractiveness of it, this idea of having... Yeah, it's trying to have your cake and eat it too. Yeah, you're not left with a meaningless life that is all just by random chance, and you're not held to any... Moral standard. Moral standard, nothing. Exactly. Nothing is going to judge you pretty much Mm -hmm. for what you do. Uh, Lewis points out, jumping back to... Well, in my book, it's page 22. I don't know about you, but um, he talks talking about the materialist view and the religious view. He says, please do not think that one of these views was held a long time ago and the other has gradually taken its place. Wherever there have been thinking men, both views turn up. Mm. Um, and he also says, you cannot find out which view is the right one by science in the ordinary sense. Because science works by experiments, it watches how things behave. Every scientific statement in the long run, however complicated it looks, really means something like, I pointed the telescope at such and such a part of the sky at 2.20 a.m. on January 15th and saw so-and-so. I put, Or I put some of this stuff in a pot, heated it to such and such a temperature, and it did so-and-so. And he's not trying, he says he's not trying to say anything against science, yeah. but that's, that is how science works. You do yeah. experiments... You write down what you find and you try to gather, just gather as much information as possible. Right. Um, And that's the job of science. Is that you would agree with that? Well, yeah, I think so. And I think to explain a little bit more why that's not an insult to science is like one, definitely one major, whichever belief you hold, the materialistic or the religious one, definitely a huge part of the world is the material world and so understanding that's pretty pretty Mm -hmm. important worth pursuing and so science is pretty good at that it's nice and systematic and clean and as unbiased as possible um at trying to understand those natural laws and stuff and what lewis is saying is well that works great for that but Mm -hmm. if there is something other than the material world we need something other than science which is the study of the material Mm -hmm. that's what people atheists and people who don't believe in god you know you hear all the time people like i believe in science and yeah as if science and god are enemies mutually exclusive exclusive. yes you were talking about a god that created science yeah like he's it's not that you have to choose one or the other it's literally two completely different things yeah talking about god as a metaphysical you know discussion and a mm. discussion about science is the opposite of that it's yeah. really about the material and the physical yeah. world now i will i would say there is some overlap i think because if and he hasn't gotten this we're probably moving ahead of him a little bit but if there is a creative 
mind, he says, basically a, a, day, a deity mm-hmm. behind the world and all this matter that we see, the, and that's the reason for this moral law that we have, then I think we can learn things about the creator from the creation mm-hmm. in the same way that you can, you can kind Get of... Get to know an artist from their painting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. Something that reflects parts of who they are. Mm-hmm. I made a note here um, on the next page on twenty four. Um, to uh, I said to find God, you must look inward. To know Him, you must look outward. Mm. Type of thing, which seemed to me a good way of summarizing what Lewis is breaking down yeah. here. Is that in he says Lewis says um, if there were anything above or, be- above or behind the observed facts in the case of stones or the weather, we, by studying them from the outside, could never hope to discover it. Yeah. Which is what he starts getting into is that the only thing we have an insider's view on is man. You yeah. Know? And that is where we find this, this thing that tells us we ought to behave a certain way, which can't be explained yeah. by natural law. Yeah. Which he's saying is evidence that there's something else out there. Yeah. So, and that, you know, to find God in that sense, to see that he exists, you have to look inside yourself Mm -hmm. and then to get to know him, you can look at your creation. Yeah. His his creation, Mm -hmm. you know, and just like we were talking about getting to know an artist by its painting, Mm -hmm. It, God puts himself, you can see his, and what's the, there's a Bible verse about it too. It yeah. says, you can know me through my creation or something yeah. like that. I'm going to find Yes. It. I'm not going to, I don't want to misquote the Bible. Hold on. In Romans 1, 20, ever since the creation of the world, his eternal power and divine mm-hmm. nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things he has made. So yeah. they are without excuse. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the pretty one. cool. Pretty crazy to like Oops. another, an, another translation talks about like his invisible attributes. We can know his invisible attributes mm-hmm. through his creation. It's like, whoa, mm-hmm. that's so crazy. Like, and it kind of reminds me of how, the way you talk about poetry. Yeah. You talk about poetry. Like there's this quality about it, which you can't, explain Mm -hmm. that when you have this feeling you can understand what the author intended and i think that's kind of the same thing with those invisible attributes it's like amazing to look at a creative thing and it's more than the sum of its parts Mm -hmm. it like yeah yeah it's awesome Lewis also says, supposing science ever became complete so that it knew every single thing in the whole universe, it is not plain that the questions, why is there a universe, why does it go on as it does, has it any meaning, would remain just as they were. Hmm. Even if we knew everything about the material world, we're not sure that those questions would be answered by science. Right. That's something, you know, yeah, people claim that I already mentioned this, but they don't believe in God because they believe in science. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's not, yeah. science isn't about the metaphysical. Right. It's like, yeah, that is a good point. Like, if you have a belief on where the world came from, even if it's not from God, it, that's not a scientific belief. Yeah. That's a metaphysical belief. Mm. Yeah. It's like science is really good at explaining the, the how, but not 
as much the, the why something mm-hmm. a little bit deeper maybe like and it talks about the only place we have where we can try to discover the why okay so like talking about something above and beyond this natural world the, mm-hmm. the why it's existing that's what he's talking about like you can't look at trees and rocks and figure out why they behave the way they do why they exist yeah you can only look at how they exist and how they do the things that they do we can't we can't figure out the motives mm-hmm. kind of which is kind of strange to think about the motives of a rock yeah because we aren't one, we don't know if they have them or not, but we are a human. And so that's what he's talking about. Like mm-hmm. the only way to look at, the only place we can no. observe motives is in ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's the only place that we can get at something bigger and beyond the mm-hmm. material world. Because we can look at not only how we exist and, um, and yeah, what we actually do, but we can also look at why we do the things that we do. And so that's what he's talking about. That's the only place that we exactly. can we can look for the answers of why the universe exists. It's something else about science and about scientific belief. And you know, I also wanted to mention at the end of the in that note at the end, he mentions he calls this life force philosophy creative evolution, which nowadays when I hear creative evolution, I don't think of the life force philosophy as he described it. I think of the view of combining creation and evolution, which a lot of Christians hold now where that we don't basically evolution is accepted for one, Mm -hmm. which some people I've talked to people who didn't realize that there were Christians who believed in evolution out there. But, and the view is basically that evolution was what took place as God is creating Mm-hmm. the world um so it's a, yeah it is a tool i yeah, guess or exactly. and essentially that the six days that are talked about in genesis were it, that's more of a metaphor the mm-hmm. whole book of genesis really more, yeah. is more of a metaphor than a literal yeah and and some people hate that view and think that it's wrong and some people love it because it allows them to accept evolution yeah um and that's, I don't want to get into that yet, but there's a book that I've mentioned before called The Fool and the Heretic mm-hmm. that you should read if you are interested in that. Yeah. But if you believe in evolution or any scientific belief, um, the whole point of science is that it's constantly proving itself wrong mm-hmm. to learn more. You know, mm-hmm. a good scientist, if somebody it makes it as a famous scientist, it's most likely because they proved other scientists wrong. Yeah. That's the whole way that we learn more is by realizing that we were completely wrong about what we mm-hmm. believed before. Mm-hmm. So I think that any scientific view you hold should not be held so strongly that if it be- is proved wrong, you completely mm. fall apart. Yeah. You know, you shouldn't yeah. hold science yeah. as I mean, a religious view. <laughs> even if you are learning science, you'll learn to quickly try to get rid of the word prove because mm. um, that's not the goal of science. And that's admittedly the fact we're not trying to prove anything because we can't do it. Mm-hmm. We can't observe 100% of the times something falls mm-hmm. to see whether gravity is proven or not. Yeah. And so we always use the terminology, you either support or fail to support your hypothesis. Mm-hmm. We never prove or disprove anything. 
nothing. It's all just supported by a lot of stuff or not supported by mm -hmm. a lot of experimentation. But it's yeah. never proven. So like hmm. that's always a nice reminder for me to like, oh yeah. <laughs> exactly that. Don't put a hundred percent stock put, in Yeah, don't put all your stock into the scientific. Yeah. And use. not to say that like not to take that too far and say that, well, you know, it's just a theory of evolution. Mm -hmm. Um because it's a theory of gravity as well. Like understand what that means is that according to as much data as we can, this is what's happening. Um, but it's not to say, again, it's not to say that tomorrow a study will come out that changes what is supported. Lewis gives this, this analogy of a mailman, which I didn't really love. I felt like it complicated it more than it was when he just explained it. Mm. I don't know. Um, if you agree or not, but basically he says, if you see, well, talking about how, again, mankind is the only thing that um, you can look inward. Yeah. He talks about a, a mailman delivering yes. letters. He says, suppose someone asked me, when I see a man in a blue uniform going down the street, leaving little paper packets at each house, why I suppose that they contain letters? I should reply because whenever he leaves a similar little packet for me, I find it does contain a letter. If he then objected, but you've never seen all the letters which you think the other people are getting, I should say, of course not, and I shouldn't expect to because they're not addressed to me. I'm explaining the packets I'm not allowed to open by the ones I'm allowed to open. It's the same about this question. The only packet I'm allowed to open is man when I do, especially when I open that particular man called myself, I find that I do not exist on my own, that I am under a law, that somebody or something wants me to behave in a certain way. I do not, of course, think that if I could get inside a stone or a tree, I should find exactly the same thing, just as I do not think all the other people in the street get the same letters as I do. Yeah, it's a little bit it's confusing. It's a little confusing, because um, at first I thought he was talking... Because to me, the thing that makes it confusing is that he doesn't explain super well what who the other people getting letters are. Is he talking is that other supposed to be other humans or is that supposed to be rocks things. and yeah and yeah. and so it gets a little that part makes it a little bit confusing yeah. as an analogy. Um, yeah. but I get what he's trying to and say is that it just showing again that we can only look inside ourselves. Exactly. Not anybody else or anything else. Yeah. Um, and we just have to use that information. Yeah. Um, which, you know, makes me think of the philosopher Descartes, who's, he's the guy who said, I think, therefore I mm -hmm. am the famous doubter. He yeah. said, you know, he was basically saying the only thing that I can know for certain is that I exist because I am a thinking thing, which was really criticized later on by Kant and stuff. But at that, but that was basically the fundamental building block. Yeah. You start with yourself. What do I act? What can I actually know? Mm -hmm. is and that then I exist? work out from that. Um, yeah, which is seems similar to me in that that's the only thing you can look know everything about and look, yeah. see inside of, and the motivations and evidence for something beyond is yeah. inside yourself. How interesting! Like the, where this kind of argument that between creation and evolution, which is so huge, it's crazy to me how big that 
or at least how big people think that argument is between creation and evolution. And, you know, that's kind of our best attempts at getting at the origin of the mm -hmm. universe and the meaning of the universe. And I think what Lewis is saying is kind of forget trying to go back in time to when the world was first created or came into being. Um, and instead, when trying to find the meaning of the universe and like whether or not there's something behind it, go for a completely different approach, which is to look at yourself like and who's to say that can't be done with a little bit of science as well. Maybe I'm biased, but like uh, psychology and stuff. I think you can learn a whole lot about um, people and like he's saying, unpacking yourself mm -hmm. through, you know, self-analysis and trying to learn who you are and what are your actual motivations and stuff. Yeah. That'd be interesting to read a book about somebody who's trying to like, instead of scientists trying to figure out whether there's a God or not from looking at, you know, carbon dating and fossils mm -hmm. and stuff. What if there was somebody trying to figure out whether there's a God or not by looking at psychology? <laughs> that would be really interesting. I'm getting sidetracked, but that'd yeah. be super interesting for me. Hmm. And probably there is. So. I feel like, I mean, and that's basically what's happening, but Lewis is just talking about looking at yourself and yeah. some of other people, yeah. which I think from... If that was to happen, that would be your best bet. It's because you're the only one who you know is being 100% honest with yourself. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. And if there is a God, then in theory, the, you should be able to find the same things, inside, same evidence for him inside yourself that you could find inside somebody else. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Huh. And it's, it's not as simple as all that, I don't think. Like you just said we're a hundred percent honest with ourselves. I don't think that's quite that's true. true. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so it's tough, but you got to work with it and like, but you can be sure that you're attempting to be a hundred percent honest with yourself yeah. at the very least. Yeah. You know, but I think you got to work on, yeah. Cause there's things that if you were to be honest with yourself, they're kind of tough to, mm -hmm. to grapple with. And so you have to work, be pretty disciplined to be honest with yourself yeah. about things, especially to be honest with yourself about who you are. Mm -hmm. Which I guess you can be honest in that you can not lie mm -hmm. if you maybe can't manage to tell the truth. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Which is different. Not lying isn't the same thing as just telling, as telling the truth. Telling right. the truth is much more complicated. Yeah. Yeah, and then hopefully you can like work on that up until the point where you can actually tell the truth mm -hmm. to yourself yeah. <laughs> to begin with, and then to other people probably too. A couple other things I just wanted to mention. Lewis says at the end of this chapter, Do not think I'm going faster than I really am. I am not yet within a hundred miles of the God of Christian theology. All I have got to do... All I have got to is something which is directing the universe and which appears in me as a law urging me to do right and making me feel responsible and uncomfortable when I do wrong. Mm -hmm. So the first three chapters were all kind of about the same idea, which mm -hmm. was, you know, any it's with reason. He wanted to set a firm foundation that we could stand on and then make progress mm -hmm. from, which is that there is a, a moral law, something that we're feeling, what we ought to do. And then here he's finally taking the next step and he's yeah. talking about what that means for the world around us. 
And so he says, well, so there's two options here. We've got a split in our path. We mm -hmm. can either say it's all a material world or there's a religious, um, there's some kind of, I like how he calls it, something like a mind. That's the best thing we can, yeah. we can come up with. And he says, well, as far as he can reason, it seems like there's, it's the religious view because of when he looks within himself, he finds something more than just the material world. Mm -hmm. And so that alone is enough to say, well, it seems like it's the religious view, not just the materialistic view. The fact that there is something guiding his actions beyond just the material world and his immediate gain and stuff like that shows there's at least something mm -hmm. more than the material world. And so, you know, he, yeah, again, he now hasn't begun to even talk if it's, mm -hmm. you know, a monotheism mm -hmm. or a polytheism. What he's, Just saying that there's something yeah, step else. By step. And then the last thing he says, there's been a great deal of soft soap talked about God for the last hundred years. That is not what I am offering. You can cut all that out. <laughs> <laughs> Which I had to look up what soft soap meant because that's kind of a outdated yeah. phrase or i've mean? never heard it I've it's basically softballs so like uh, if somebody if somebody's talking soft soap about god they'd be asking themselves easy questions yeah. and setting up straw man arguments to mm. make it look like oh it's just obvious you know and lewis is like that's not what i'm doing he's yeah. really trying his best to shoot straight shoot straight get down to the nitty-gritty and build a firm foundation yeah but I think that's it, unless there's something else. No, I'm excited. Are you happy? Yeah, I'm ready for chapter five. Yeah, we'll get that. good. So yeah, hope you guys enjoyed. Go back and listen to the other episodes if you haven't, and highly recommend you pick up a copy of Mere Christianity and follow along with us. If you enjoyed the episode, please just honestly share it on social media. Tell your friends um, so we can get some more listeners. That'd be cool. Good stuff. Getting coronavirus. Yeah. That was no bueno. Yeah. But over Christmas. Yeah. It's quarantined over Christmas. Great. I know. But now you think about it, you have bested the global pandemic. I have. On I've a defeated level. it. Yeah. So I am immune, I guess. I don't know. Am I? I don't think I can get it or be affected by it anymore. Or I can't give it to anybody else either, right? Um, it's like my body kills it. You're definitely, that... you're definitely pretty likely to be immune for the next three months for sure. And oh. then after a year, you can get it again, it seems like. What? Yeah. That's not fair. So, round two, next year, <laughs> next same Christmas. time, next Christmas. <laughs> I just get corona every Christmas for the rest of my life. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Like, that is a possibility. Like, this is now a virus that is just in the human system. And, you know, in 40 years, people are going to get corona. Well, we got a vaccine for it now. That's true, but we have a vaccine for lots of stuff. Yeah. We have a flu vaccine. and Well, the flu is different every year. The flu virus changes every year. At yeah. least that's what I've heard. That's true. Like, nobody gets, like, smallpox anymore. That's true. Unless you're in, like, a third world country. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that is interesting. Some of them we just got 
completely rid of. But but yeah, they still still do get it in third world countries. So I guess because they don't have vaccines. vaccines. Yeah, I wonder if Corona like mutates like flu does. Oh, I hope not. <laughs> but it's crazy. I've been thinking about this, and I know this isn't what we're supposed to be talking about, but it is mm-hmm. incredibly relevant. But a little bonus part at the end, yeah. I'll add on. <laughs> a little nice, fresh perspective on this topic that people haven't probably <laughs> heard about. But we got incredibly lucky that it's a virus. Like, it's been a minute since the world had a pandemic. Mm-hmm. One came along, and it has a like less than 1% death rate, mortality rate. There's nothing saying that it couldn't be 30, 50% death yeah. rate. There's like no biological reason mm-hmm. that it wasn't that. It very easily could have been. Yeah. And so like, I feel like, man, maybe this is all for the best. We got a little trial run mm-hmm. with pretty low consequences considering mm-hmm. what it could be. Like, the Black Plague, I think that was like 30% death rate. Yeah. So a third of the people that got it are, are gone. Yeah. And so it's like, now we have something that pretty much if you get it, you're all right. It's just an, yeah. a, a major inconvenience. Mm-hmm. It's like, whoa, it could have been so much worse than it is. So there's one thing to be grateful for. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. 